Shalom, shalom. You're listening to Live Internet Studies. This is episode number 200. My name is Ari Oben Lyman Hanavi. Let's open with a word of prayer. Avino Malkino, our Father, our King Lord, we're blessed tonight to reach a milestone in our uh, live studies, episode number 200. Wow. Um, congratulations to us. Uh, by your spirit and by your grace and mercy, you've brought us this far. And Lord, we're delighted to be able to join once again with one another across the miles through this uh, medium and mechanism of the internet and to be able to share thoughts and, and prayers with one another. Uh, continue, Lord, to um, give us a heart to seek your words and your ways and your face, um, to be able to equip ourselves with the power and the presence of the Holy Spirit who lives inside of us. Help us to um, take the study seriously. Even though it can be just a lot of fun at times, um, we know that we should be using these times to prepare ourselves for um, not just what's taking place around us right now, but what is surely going to be um Diff, more and more difficult and darker times that we live in as we um, uh, approach the second coming of the Lord Yeshua back to planet Earth. Uh, we've got to be um, equipping ourselves, studying and preparing our hearts and our minds and practicing um, to uh, say no to evil and withstand uh, the onslaught of the devil as he's going to ramp his program up in the last days. And if we're just kind of sitting back and, you know, dilly dallying and, and lollygagging and just resting on our laurels, Lord, we're, well, we're, we're probably going to be taken by surprise and it's going to be unpleasant surprise. So thank you, Lord, for uh, these practice runs, for these, um, these preparatory uh, sessions that we're going through. Um, continue to, to lift us up and to heal us and to strengthen us as, as individuals and as families. And we'll be careful to give you the praise and glory of Yeshua. Amen. Thank you, everyone, for joining me uh, for these live internet studies. My name is Ariel bin Lyman Hanavi, and I join you week after week for these live one-hour studies, which are broken up into two 30-minute segments. This is episode number 200, and um, I am going to wrap up the Matthew study tonight formally with the notes that I've prepared. We will reach the end of the notes tonight. And then next week, I'm going to um, probably do what's, what I like to call kind of practical application discussion, where we kind of put our feet to our faith and ask what what practical implications um does the study have now that we've kind of gone through the academic part and that'll be the kind of that'll be the official conclusion to the study likewise with the shema study um we're nearing the very end of it we're in the excursus material which is the very end of the study anyway and i'll either wrap it up either tonight or definitely next week and that'll poise us for um brand new studies for both 30 minute segments for my live study uh, in case you didn't know already, I'll just tell you in advance, um, we will not be meeting um, the week after next nor the week after next, which are Christmas Eve and New Year's Eve, respectively. So we are meeting next week, and that's why we'll conclude both of the um, the segmental studies uh, officially. And then there'll be a two-week buffer, a two-week break for the end of the year, the last two weeks of the year, no studies. Uh, take a break for your hangout with your friend, friends and family for Christmas, if that's what you do, or New Year's parties, if that's what you do, then you know, take a break. You don't have to meet with me. And then coming out fresh into the brand new year, 2023, January 7th, I believe the calendar date is, um, for that Saturday evening, we will um, start with two brand new segments. I haven't completely chosen which what they'll be yet, but I hope you can stick around and join me 
for those uh, uh, new segments. All right, let's jump right into the Matthew study. As you can see on my screen, I've got a question about fasting um, uh, paragraph uh, heading in your ESV Bible. I'm not going to read the um, the the um, passage there. I'll just have it parked on your screen so you can see the details of the verse that we're or the the paragraph that we're um, uh, discussing. Instead, let me jump right into the uh, study. We left off last week in the middle of the concluding thoughts. I uh, didn't really get a good run at it, so I'm just going to back up and start at the very beginning of that paragraph there and uh, just start reading and read down through. Maybe I'll read down through and then um, I'll stop and discuss my um, thoughts. But here's what I have to say in the final concluding thoughts of this Matthew study. It's entitled "Our." Judaism and Christianity incompatible with one another. The short running title is Judaism v. Christianity. And it's a discussion about replacement theology and the uh, concept of Jesus bringing something radically new that was incompatible with the existing um, Jewish, uh, not worldview, but Jewish religious system of his day. Um, and it's based on the um, um, parables that are given in the Matthew 9. Uh, 14 through 17 uh, passage. So go back and read study on uh, read the uh, passage on your own so you can kind of figure out where we're going. So here's what I have to say in my uh, concluding thoughts. These are my own words and my own commentary. We in the body of Messiah, we do need one another now more than ever before. And that's based on the, the kind of the temperature and the gauge of where we're at in today's um, end time scenarios. Where we, I mean, you don't have to be a rocket scientist to figure out that we're drawing closer to the second coming of Christ um, and sooner, uh, probably more than later, sooner we're going to be seeing events kind of start um, unfold, perhaps in prophetic fashion, where we might even figure out that we're really starting to get into the birth pangs of the uh, of the end time scenarios and start moving into um, maybe even identifying um, world, you know, the big players, the big dogs, you know, um, the big guys on the chessboard, you know. Uh, uh, Antichrist and and some of these coalition uh, countries that are forming um, um, agreements with them, and you know the peace treaties that are going to be signed, so that we can start seeing the uh, the the Daniel seventieth week clock start ticking again, things like that. But we in the body of Messiah, despite where we are in the body, whether you're Jewish or Gentile, we need one another now more than ever before. I say in my commentary that these days in which we live in. They're rife with darkness, and the whole of humanity outside of Yeshua, whether they know it or not, is desperately wicked and hopelessly soaked in sin. And for that reason, there's only one solution. Jesus is the solution. Yeshua is the answer to the dilemma that the world is facing. Whether they know it or not, whether they like it or not, there is only one answer for them. Um, It's because of the total depravity, that T in the tulip of Calvin's T-U-L-I-P, um, man is totally depraved. Uh, he cannot rescue himself. He's he's um, the the the, uh, the original sin that he brought into the world with him that he inherited from his father Adam. Um, he has no escape from that, and so he he needs a Messiah. He needs a, a rescuer. He needs a deliverer. He needs the remedy called new covenant. So I go on to say, now is not the time to tear each other down as fellow believers. <laughs> Indeed, I ask, is there ever a good time to tear each other down, right? There isn't ever really a good time to tear each other down. And I mentioned that because I think some people 
got the wrong impression that my study was all about tearing down Christianity's perspective on this particular passage about, I mean, how could you be so stupid as to think that replacement theology is the, 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 uh, the, the order of the day, right? That's not the, what, what my purpose the, of the study was. In fact, um, of course, we must, I say in my commentary, demonstrate genuine love for one another if we are to be recognized by the world as followers of the master, right? Um, we as believers, we're not enemies with one another. We have our differences theologically and, um, you know, doctrinally and denominationally. And, uh, you know, and some of those differences are pretty, pretty hard, black and white. I mean, they're, they're hard to kind of see the other guy's perspective. But um, as John stated in his book, quote, by this, all people will know that you are my disciples, this is if Yeshua speaking, of course, if you have love for one another. So despite our differences, we've got to, at the end of the day, recognize that if we um, hold to the master, if he is the head, if he is the head of the body like he truly should be, if he's our Lord and Savior, if we recognize him as Lord, if we rely on the Holy Spirit, for our sanctification and the word of God as that tool to sanctify us. And we're not relying on our denominations and our churches and our traditions and things like that. If we truly are saved and we truly know God, then we can be more unified uh, even despite our differences. We can have our differences and just learn to look past them and learn to, to kind of look the other way at them. Um, but we can still learn to uh, fellowship with one another and have an appreciation for one another, even despite our differences, I think. Um, it's almost like we're describing politically, we're trying to say uh, we can have more of a bipartisanship, I think, if I'm using that word correctly and in my analogy fits. But um, continuing in my study, I say, um, and again, this, I'm, I'm saying this because I want people to understand truly where my heart was, uh, what my intentions were with the study. It was not my desire to single out a few Christian pastors and Christian resources for the purpose of mocking them or exposing their supposed gross negligence in biblical exposition, right? It's not like I've got all the answers and they're just sorely lacking, right? I mentioned all those um, people that you're probably seeing on the screen right now. Um, you know, John Piper, uh, the, the examples from John Piper, from uh, gotquestions.org, from John MacArthur, and from um, David Guzik, and I think that's the proper order that you're seeing them on your screen right now. I wasn't trying to throw them under the bus and just trample their ministries and, you know, demonstrate my superiority in understanding the scriptures and handling the word of God as a Messianic Jewish believer and showing how that they're just missing out on everything. That's not uh, what I was looking for. I go on to say, my aim was simply to examine Matthew 9, 14 through 17, and based on popular interpretations, which those are, my interpretations aren't as popular. Uh, they're not as even well-known. But based on popular interpretations of this passage that I have found, I was simply sought to ask the question, and this is the study name actually, are Judaism and Christianity incompatible with one another? And we're going to have more of a kind of an open discussion next week as I wrap all of this up together because uh, I'm, I'm going to conclude the written material tonight. And then next week we'll have a kind of a practical um, feel what 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 does this look like when we talk about our Judaism and Christianity incompatible with one another? What are the implications for Jews seeking Jesus? I'm sorry, seeking Messiah, even if they don't know that Jesus is that Messiah that they're seeking. And what does this look like for Christians who already recognize that Jesus is the Messiah, but have a um a kind of a um 
a, a, a smaller appreciation for things Jewish, maybe even a, a non-appreciation, right? A, a blindness towards things Jewish. So I go on to say, first and foremost, I am asking the question as a religious Jewish man that has embraced Jesus as the promised Messiah of my Tanakh. And I say that right up front because I want my viewers to know, I want those who are watching these YouTube videos, I want people who are listening to the Eisen podcast and the MP3s and reading the study on my website, I want them to know right up front that I think there's a place for Judaism at the table uh, of religious discussions and denominations and a place for Torah observance, more importantly, for Jews and for Gentiles in Messiah. And I think that's a position that's not very well um, articulated by uh, teachers today, by Christians today. It's not very well appreciated by um, uh, um, leaders in top positions as to you know how Jewishly should we allow people to act out when it comes to their Christianity, whether whether you're whether you're born Jewish or whether you're kind of brought into it um, in the Hebraic lifestyle side of things, things like that. I go on to say, however, I do believe the question and answer has far-reaching relevance for Gentile Christians as well. And I say that because it's easy for me as a Jewish man to say, well, of course we need a Judaism that believes in Jesus. Of course we need a Christianity that embraces the Torah. It's easy for me to, to lay those claims as a Jewish man because historically, the history that I um, hearken back to uh, is um, complete with Jewish observance, right? It's the standard default lifestyle that we Jews um, want to live. We want to live a, a, a Torah lifestyle, a Torah-based lifestyle. We want to live Jewishly, right? It's kind of part and parcel with the name Jewish. I realize not all Jewish people are into living as Jews. There are a good number of Jewish people who are born into a Jewish family, but they have no desire to live a Jewish lifestyle. Hey, that's that's their decision, right? Um, everybody has their own free will and their own um, uh, uh, goals in life and things like that. But as a religious man myself, and speaking as a Jew, I do want to live a Jewish lifestyle and a Torah observant lifestyle to the best of my ability under the power of the Holy Spirit. But I think it has far-reaching relevance for Gentile Christians as well. We'll talk more about them next week. But I say for now, particularly um, those seeking, those Gentiles seeking to further enhance their walk with Yeshua by embracing the ways of Torah. So in case you didn't know, there's a growing number of Gentile Christians who are coming into what they call an Hebraic lifestyle or a Torah movement or the Jewish return to their Jewish roots movement or something to that effect. It's got, you know, Messianic Judaism. It's got a different few different names that are kind of tossed around uh, to describe this growing denomination, sort of grassroots, where you're not born Jewish, but you're embracing the Torah as a Gentile, and it makes you look Jewish on the outside. You know, you might wear a kippah if you're a man, which is a yarmulke, a kippah, a little skull cap, um, or you may not, right? It's up to you. Um, you may or may not uh, grow a long beard. You may or may not uh, put uh, tassels or fringes or tzitzit on your garments. Most people do. Um, most end up putting some form of mezuzah on their door. Uh, they, they serve, probably the more recognizable, a visible signs that you're embracing Hebraic lifestyle, that you're embracing the, um, the festivals and the Sabbaths and the kosher lifestyle. And in other words, in distinction from say Seventh-day Adventists or Seventh-day Baptists that simply embrace 
um, uh, holy day and festivals, uh, but they don't call themselves um, Hebraic oriented or something like that. They still consider themselves kind of mainstream denominational Christians. By the way, that's not to suggest that Messianic Judaism thinks of themselves as non-Christian either. They certainly do think of themselves as Christian. So it has far-reaching implications. We'll talk a little bit more about those kind of free-handed uh, next week. Let's continue in my um, commentary and finish this uh, out. There's only this paragraph and another paragraph and then a quote from, who is that a quote from? It's probably Tim Haig. Um, nope, it's David Stern, Dr. Stern, the, the late Dr. Stern just passed away recently. And then that'll be the end of the study. So uh, let's keep reading right here at the top of the screen. I go on to say, if Christianity as a representation of the truth of the gospel is to be relevant for unbelieving Jews, and you have to pause and ask, we're talking about Jews who I say in my commentary are seeking a genuine relationship with their God. And this has got to be an important perspective, whether you agree with it or like it or not. Because as an evangelical, as a Catholic, as an Orthodox, as a Christian, no matter which denomination you fall into, Lutheran, Methodist, you know, Episcopalian, uh, uh, um, I'm trying to think, um, Pentecostal, that's the word I was looking for, um, Charismatic, whatever, uh, Baptist, can't forget those, whatever um, denomination you fall into, if you're seeking to witness to lost people, then sooner or later you're going to probably encounter a Jewish person who's also lost. So you have to remember, um, they are seeking God, and they're see many of them are seeking a Messiah, a personal Messiah. Many of them are seeking a messianic um, concept or idea or um, um, age or a, a, a program or something like that. They're not seeking a personal man named Messiah, but many of them are. And so you've got to consider that, and I say this in my commentary, if you are of that type of Christianity, then your Christianity obviously must never, ever water down the message of the true Messiah as you're seeking to witness to, to Jewish people, all right, the true Messiah Jesus. But it must also, and listen to this, listen up, it must be careful not to present a religion that is incompatible with a genuine Torah respectful lifestyle. And we'll talk more about this next week, but these are some of the implications for Christianity. It's unfortunate that historic Christianity for 2,000 years has kind of just fallen in step with the kind of the default form of Christianity that is actually outwardly offensive to the genuine Torah respectful lifestyle and to religious Jews who are seeking a relationship with God and with a Messiah. This outward form of Gentile Christianity just kind of takes it for granted that Jesus nullified the law of Moses, root, uprooted the laws of Moses and the Jewish lifestyle, and he did away with it because it was incompatible with um, Christianity. Um, and so I continue to, uh, to talk about it this way. To be sure, all well-being Bible students, both Jewish and Gentile alike, this is my opinion, I believe that they would agree that Moshe's lifestyle was not incompatible with Yeshua, right? King David's lifestyle was not incompatible with Yeshua's lifestyle. So we're trying to say that Yeshua lived a Torah observant lifestyle and he lived as a Jewish man and yet he walked obedient to his father. And so if we are to walk as he walked, right? That's what the word Christian implies, Christ-like. If we are to live our lives like the Messiah, 
then there's certainly nothing that should be incompatible with pursuing a Torah obedient lifestyle because indeed the master lived a Torah obedient lifestyle. I go on to remind us, Paul's lifestyle was not incompatible with Yeshua's. Paul could not have practiced a Christianity that was that was somehow at odds with his master's version of Christianity or Judaism. There must have been overlap sufficient enough to recognize Judaism, early Christianity, early Christianity and first century Judaism as essentially almost um, indistinguishable from one another, except for the fact that uh, one group was, say, ethnic Jews and the other were uh, people from the nations. But other than that, um, the, the, uh, the, the value systems were, were identical. I go on to say, in all of these men, right, the people I have my example here, David, Paul, I, last week I talked about Abraham, even though he lived prior to a written Torah, but we could still kind of lump him in here if we wanted to. All of these men, of course, Yeshua included as one of those men, they were all Torah observant and they were all Torah respectful. So these are things that we don't often think about today when we have these discussions in evangelical circles about, you know, should the Christians be under the law of Moses? And before you're so ready to cast your vote as to emphatically know, kind of the knee-jerk reaction answers, no, of course not. Christians aren't um, subject to the law of Moses, of course of course, they're not obligated to keep the law of Moses or something, right? You know, law is done away with. That's the old system. Before we we're so ready to just instantly add our vote to the, uh, the 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 discussion that the law of Moses is done away with. Let's stop and ask: What is so wrong with the law of Moses that necessitates its doing away with? Part of God's laws were um, incomplete or um, uh, inefficient or um you know uh you know in need of repair or something like that the premise i say that judaism and christianity are incompatible with one another is in my opinion a weak premise at best and a poor uh exegetical position at worst all right let's see how am i doing on time all right we still got some time all right let's finish this tonight I go on to, uh, so that that's kind of where we left off basically last week, and I just reread that. Let's pick up uh, the furthering discussion here in my commentary. I say, the Jew who embraces Jesus does not become, quote, a Jewishless Christian, nor does he need to seek to lose his ancestral ties to Judaism. This, again, is the unfortunate historical um, reality of Christianity for the last 2,000 years, less so more now, which, thank goodness, we're getting less and less of Christianity who champions this idea that Jews need to leave their Judaism behind. I mean, not only is it um, politically incorrect, but it's 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 contrary to the woke um, system that we're kind of uh, uh, em- em- embracing these days, right? It's, um, you know, if, you, if you're trying to say that Jewish people can't live their lives as Jews and be Christians at the same time, Imagine some woke Jew is gonna, you know, go on online or on on news or somewhere, get in his Twitter account and uh, start, uh, um, uh, you know, telling you how uh, politically incorrect that is to say that, and you know, and blah blah blah, and you're gonna get in trouble. You're gonna have to uh, apologize and such and such. But you know, uh, 1900 or 2,000 years ago, it was very easy to make Judaism the bad guy. Because they were the Christ killers. They were the ones who rejected Jesus. They were the ones who crucified him, hung him on a cross, and handed him over to Pilate, right? They were the they were the the the, the villains of the piece, at least from the eyes of the emerging Gentile Christian uh, denominations. And so it was easy to distance ourselves from this growing religious 
group known as rabbinic Judaism, you know, that, that formed after the destruction of the temple, we, um, uh, Gentile Christians didn't want to be uh, confused with rabbinic Jews, right? Because they are the ones who don't believe in the New Testament and don't believe in Jesus. We're the ones who have embraced Jesus uh, and do embrace the New Testament. So I say the Jew today who embraces Jesus, he doesn't have to lose his Jewishness, right? He can still be a Christian. He can still be Jewish. They're not mutually exclusive. Uh, to be sure, I say, as we already uh, demonstrated, hopefully in the study, Paul teaches in the latter part of Romans chapter 2, that a true Jew is one who's both Jewish inside and out, right? And he goes on to talk about how that this type of Jew receives praise not from men, but from God. So let me read that part again. This type of Jew who's circumcised in heart and in flesh, he is a Jew who's one both inside and out, and his praise comes not from men. Now, it might come from men, and that's not entirely a bad thing to have men uh, give you praise or recognition or accolades. I mean, there's nothing wrong with that. We all want to be recognized. Like DC Talk used to say, we all need to be loved, right? We all need just a little respect. Um, so he, but he, his, his, ultimately his praise comes not from man, but from God. And Paul's kind of playing with that term Jew, Jewish, um, um, praiser of Yah, Yehudi, um, Jewish or or um, uh, Judah. Uh, go back and look up the etymology of the, the the Hebrew word Judah and Jewish in the Hebrew, and you'll see what I'm talking about when with the play on word for Paul saying um, praise from God and uh, praise from not from men but from God. So David Stern um, he makes this fascinating statement regarding this particular verse in his book Messianic Jewish Manifesto. Um, and I want to read some of that next week as well, but I want to use it as my final quote for this commentary uh, for tonight. So David Stern, the late David Stern, um, wrote a um, book, a um, bright red book. I'll show it to you next week. It's called Messianic Jewish Manifesto, a really um, kind of eye-catching title there. And um, I say in my commentary, remember that David Stern is a Messianic, he was, I say, he, he was a Messianic Jewish man who believed in Yeshua and yet practiced a sect of Judaism. Uh, when At the time that I wrote the commentary back in 2015, David Stern was still living, but he passed away recently this year. I believe that was just last month or the month prior. It was either October or November, but uh, he, he just recently passed away. So um, a, a great man of God uh, gone by, and I hope to meet him someday um, when I'm resurrected or when we get to heaven. But here's what uh, the late Dr. Stern has to say. Quote, some churches try to assimilate us to Gentile ways. Remember, he's speaking as a Jewish Christian. Some churches try to assimilate us Jews. I'm filling in the word Jews there. He doesn't put it, but it's understood from context. They try to assimilate us as Gentile, uh, assimilate us to Gentile ways, denying our right to express our Jewishness. And um, whether you know this or not, whether you like it or not, it is a part of church history. It's an ugly part of church history. Even Dr. David, uh, Dr. Um, Dr. Michael Brown, who's a uh, well-known Messianic Jewish apologist, probably the world's foremost Messianic Jewish apologist, he has a book called Our Hands Are Stained With Blood, I believe. I'll flash a little picture on the screen. I think it's called, I think that's the running title, Our Hands Are Stained With Blood. And he's trying to emphasize the idea that Gentile Christianity has a very ugly history of trying to get Jews to assimilate to Gentile ways, forced assimilation, a forced um, eating of um, pork to try and prove that they're Christians rather than Jews, 
denying their Jewishness, um, even unwittingly um, playing into um, Hitler's uh, programs um, during World War II of, of annihilating Jewish people by remaining largely silent when Jews were carted off in, in um, uh, train loads off to the concentration camps and things like that. Uh, many Christian denominations didn't voice their opposition to what was going on. Catholic Christianity and uh, many forms of evangelical Christianity that just didn't uh, speak out against the atrocities of what was going on. Now, we're not, we're not saying that that's taking place today, and I'm not labeling and trying to compare the um the the, the replacement theolo theology uh idealisms of today with um hitler's um uh nazism so don't go misquoting me misunderstanding me and um um shutting down my uh, uh religious channel because you misunderstand because i mentioned something about that but dr stern uh had these thoughts and it's part of his um painful history as a jewish man who recalls the Holocaust. And so that's the point of why I was bringing those things up. He talks about how the, this assimilation and denying of Jewishness is often done under the banner of eliminating, quote, the middle wall of partition, end quote, between Jews and Gentiles, which has been broken down, as we know, by Yeshua the Messiah, right? Go back and read Paul's letters, um, the book of Ephesians chapter 2, where he talks about the middle wall of partition being broken down. And often, sometimes, um, Christians who are um, evangelical and not Hebraically oriented or Catholic and not Hebraically oriented, in other words, they're not really welcome to embracing any Jewish forms of Christianity or Torah lifestyles and things like that. When they see Messianic Jews trying to re-embrace their Jewish lifestyle or they encounter um, Gentile Christians trying to embrace the Hebraic lifestyle and things like that, all they can see is that the middle wall of partition is being uh, raised again. They think that to bring Torah into the discussion is to raise that middle wall all over again. David Stern goes on to say, other churches regard us as extra special, either as weird, not quite Christian, or as super Christians, doubly blessed, either as a Missing a Jewish man, kind of a token Jew when I visit churches and I show up in my kippah and my talit and my in my long beard. I'll flash a little picture of what I'm talking about, uh, how I used to wear my beard really, really long when I looked when I was um, embracing Orthodox Judaism uh, uh, for a uh, congregation that I was a member of or a part of uh, a partner with. And um, I would show up to churches looking like this and people would some people would just look at me as like, wow, what's what's with this get up? You know, what, what are you trying to be? Um uh, you know, are you really Christian? You know, the way you're looking doesn't doesn't quite fit the bill. And the others would be like, oh, wow, it's Moses in the flesh. You know, you're a Christian and you're a Jew. You've got the best of both worlds. That's what I mean by doubly blessed. Or that's what um, Dr. Stern means by doubly blessed. And he goes on to elaborate. He says, in the latter case, we're actually put on display. Right. And I, I felt that too. I, I went, I visited a church. It's true, true story. I visited a church and it was my very first time visiting. And the pastor, upon seeing me, his eyes got really big, and he's like, wow, you're like the Apostle Paul walking and talking, you know? You're a Jewish man who believes in Jesus. Can you sit on the pulpit, with, uh, sit on the, uh, the, the platform with us, sit? And I sat up in those seats that are usually behind the pulpit, but are usually reserved for the elders or somebody or the, the co-pastors or these. You know, you've seen um, pulpits where there are, there are chairs behind the pulpit, so you're facing the, the audience. 
first time visiting and i got invited up to the pulpit and you know i couldn't i didn't want to turn him down um you know i was honored to be up there but i couldn't help but leaving uh thinking that like david stern describing we were we were put on display uh we were requested to give our quote-unquote testimony every other week uh maybe at our local congregation and any questions about the old testament are immediately referred to our quote our jewish christian end quote so uh, david stern talks about that in 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 short we become the church's token jew and um it didn't happen so much at my local congregation but like i said when i would visit churches um and the pastor invited me up and said you know can you can you do some q a with us and I said, sure. And so I took the microphone and I said, what would you like to know? And the first thing they start asking is, you know, Old Testament questions, Hebrew questions. Why do Jewish people do, do, do X, Y, Z, blah, blah, blah. And so under, understandably, you know, people are curious and they don't usually have Jewish people visiting. For some, it's the first Jew they ever met, you know. So I wasn't too harsh on people. This really happened a lot down the South when I lived, when I was um, in the military and um, lived down in, in Alabama and visited churches down there. I would just show up unex, uninvited, unexpectedly, unknowingly. I would just, I would drive down the street, pick a church, and just park, park, and get out and walk in, and 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 I wouldn't sit in the back because I think that's too condescending myself. But I would slip into the service, not un, un, not secretly, right? It wasn't like I was trying to spy on them. I was there to worship, but I would, I would walk in like any other visitor and find a seat usually somewhere in the middle and just take it as it came <laughs> so stern concludes by saying in either case our jewishness and this is conclusion to my study our jewishness becomes a cause celebre a cause uh celebre i'm not exactly sure how to pronounce that that uh, french word uh celebre i think the e is silent on the end uh it's it's similar to a, a celebrity or right we become a jewish celebrity um and uh or more to the point here it gets defined not by we we messing jews but by the gentiles around us so um we end up being uh wow that you know look at this guy he's a jewish fill in the blank uh and uh you know they're not quite sure what to do with this so but that'll do it if i were to click on that link there let me in fact i will since we're at the end here you can see that i lifted that quote from um the late Dr. Stern, uh, Messing in a Jewish Manifesto, Jewish New Testament Publications, 1988, page 13. And I'll, I'll um, uh, uh, show you the book again next week when we talk a little bit more about it. But essentially, as you can see uh, by looking at my study, that's it. You see my signature down there at the bottom. That's the end of the study, Judaism v. Christianity. Well, next week, we'll just do a little bit of um, uh, um, kind of practical application. What would this look like today um, to have a... Um, a messianic Judaism that's more viable than it really is today. Jews embracing Jesus, Gentiles embracing Torah, both of us coming together. Uh, what does this look like uh, more like uh, practically in churches? In case you're not familiar with it, uh, we'll talk some a, a bit about that next week. I'll probably pull some more quotes from uh, Stern's uh, manifesto as I've got it on, on my computer here. Uh, so we'll do some um, uh, discussions like that. But I hope you can join us next week. If you join us via Skype, let me say this one last plug real quick. If you join us via Skype next week, I'm kind of um, um, inviting you now. If you join us via Skype next week, if you join us live, if there are enough of you that join in in the live class, <clears throat> 
not counting the regulars, then I'll actually open up the mic and we might have even some live discussion, take some live questions, Q&A next week about this topic of um, Jews embracing Jesus, Christians embracing Torah, uh, are Judaism and Christianity incompatible with one another? These are the live internet studies brought to you week after week by myself, Ariel Ben Lyman Hanavi. I'm a torture to your congregation, Kayla Tunavada Harvest in uh, Thornton, Colorado. Find us online at graftedna.com and join us in, in person for our live Sabbath services. But if you're not able to join us, at least as I mentioned, join us online and um, you can see the link to the video right there on my screen as well. These uh, live internet studies are a part of my own um, Torah teaching ministry, which parks itself on the web at tetzetorah.com. That's T-E-T-Z-E-T-O-R-A-H.com. I'd love to have you join me at my own home uh, personal website there and uh, browse around and take a look through all the uh, commentaries that you see on my screen right now as well. I also have a YouTube channel that I'd be delighted if you uh, popped in and um, took a look around there as well. YouTube.com forward slash C forward slash Tetsay Torah Ministries. If you do hit my website, uh, my YouTube channel there, be sure to uh, take notice that I update the uh, site essentially daily, uploading videos daily. Make sure then to subscribe, hit the bell for notifications, leave thumbs up for all the videos that you like. Um, leave me some comments and questions about things you have um, uh, your own thoughts on. And be sure to share the content with your other friends and family members in your social media circles, okay? Just some brief important uh, details. If you'd like to join us for our live studies, be sure to get access to Skype somehow. If you're on my website right now, um, uh, during the live study and you click on that blue Skype link, it'll actually open up Skype in your browser and you can just join us right there. And we hope you can join us live because we engage in a live Q&A after the study is over, opening up the microphones and it's exclusively to the um, uh, live studies um, uh, that we uh, enjoy engage in that live study uh, Q&A. But if not, um, take one last moment to scroll to the very bottom of my website where you can see some Hebrew writing and the black section down there. And uh, prayerfully consider partnering with me to take the Torah around the world uh, in this particular format. You can click on the little yellow donate button and um, bless me that way with your uh, financial gifts and contributions. And I'm so uh, blessed to be able to be in a place where I can receive uh, your generous gifts. Uh, thank you to all of those who have given in the past and are continuing to give. I'm so uh, thrilled to be on the receiving end of, of your generosity. And as I always say, be blessed as you seek to be a blessing to others. Let's turn to exploring the Shema discussions on the issues of Trinity and jump right back into the study where we left off last week. We are in the excursus material. This is our second 30-minute segment of our live one-hour studies. I invite you to join us each week for the live one-hour study. Um, join us via Skype. Go to my website at uh, tetsitora.com. As I mentioned in the um, uh, uh, intermission, if you listen to the long full hour study, and I talk about there's a live live uh, Skype link uh, on my located on my um, website at tetsitora.com. I'll flash the URL on the screen here for you real quick. And um, uh, so in case you don't know how to spell Tetsay Torah and the um, live Skype link, if you join us during that 5 p.m. to 6 p.m. Saturday evening time slot, central time. If you're joining us during that time live, if you click on that link, it'll launch Skype if you're using a desktop or laptop computer, and you will instantly be um, uh, uh, whisked into the study, right? Mas magically, you'll just appear into the live study with us right there. 
or if you got a, a smartphone or a, a mobile device like a, a tablet device, iPad or something like that, you might likely have to install the Skype app, which is free, and you might likely have to create a Skype account unless you want to join as a guest, but the Skype app is free and to create an account is free but either other way either way i think uh, it doesn't cost you anything to join so i'm inviting you out this way you can join in the discussion and if enough people join me live other than the uh, the people that are just my live um regulars in me in the class now then i'll actually open up the microphones and make it a live discussion so we're talking about um the holy spirit within us versus the holy spirit upon us rule within versus ruach upon and this is excursion material to our exploring the Shema discussions on the issues of Trinity. So it's not heavily Trinitarian, but we're entertaining this discussion about um, the Holy Spirit was sent to equip us and to remind us of the words of Jesus and to um, uh, build us up as a body. And, and God uh, masterfully designed the body of Messiah with our leaders um, to uh, be put into places so that we can um, stop bickering. And I um, have this quote in my uh, commentary that you can see on my screen right now from the book of Ephesians, <clears throat> where Paul talks about um, bringing leaders into the body was for the purpose of building us up, speaking the truth and love. We should have respect for one another so we can grow up uh, into him who is the head, who is the Messiah. And um, this way, we'll, we won't bicker about uh, in versus on topics. I mean, really, uh, uh, it's kind of a superficial topic, really. You know, what does it matter whether the Holy Spirit was in us versus on us, right? What is the impact when it comes to salvation is really the, the meatier question that we should be asking. You know, we're not bickering over a simple preposition in versus on. That's not really the point of my discussion. I hope you're not getting lost in that kind of superficial view of this part of my excursus. But let me just pick up where I left off. What I say is that and I ask really this question, what is it about the spirit that will unite us as believers? And indeed, we recognized and we um, we talked about this earlier last week. It's only the genuine filling of the spirit, the gen genuine dwelling of the spirit that can bring about genuine salvation of an individual. You cannot muster up salvation on your own. It's not an intellectual enterprise. It's not something that takes place because you have a head knowledge of Jesus. There must be a heart, a heart transformation. There must be a, a new birth. There must be a death of the old man and a rebirth of a new man. You must be born again, right? To quote the, 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 the Gospels themselves, uh, like Jesus told Nicodemus, you must be born again. You must be born from above if you are to experience genuine salvation. And so it's not that the Holy Spirit moving into you is an optional feature. It's not optional. It's non-optional. You must have the Holy Spirit uh, come inside you in order to become a genuine follower of Jesus, a genuine Christian. So, what is it that's going to unite us as believers? I say in my uh, in my answer simply and foundationally that quote only the Spirit can regenerate a man so as to cause him to declare Jesus as Lord. And we have this discussion because when we talk about in verses on, we're talking about how were people saved in the Old Testament if the Holy Spirit was not in them. Right? It's popularly taught. In some Christian circles, not all, but it's popularly taught in many Christian circles that the Holy Spirit was merely on people in the Old Testament, but now he is within people in the New Testament. And there's this new, greater spiritual experience that we have in the New Testament versus the Old Testament, as if to suggest that the Old Testament saints didn't know what it was like to have this Holy Spirit on the inside, right? You've seen those little labels, Intel inside, <clears throat> 
We Christians need a label that says Holy Spirit inside, okay? All right. I'll flash a little logo reveal, right? Intel inside. So um, we must recognize that the Holy Spirit is the one who regenerates us, causes the old man to die, causes the new man to be reborn, and it's exclusive to the Holy Spirit experience. And so if we are to recognize that the Old Testament saints were saved, then we must likewise recognize that they must have had the Holy Spirit within them. That's just the way deductional logic works with, with topics like the one we're having. The verse um, in our Corinthians that would passage that we looked at above, verse two, contrasts our former blindness and ignorance as quote unquote pagans being led by other than Holy Spirits, end quote, right? This is Paul uh, schooling us and telling us and informing us how it was before we uh, came to believe in Jesus, right? We were blinded. We were walking about and groping about in blindness, and we were actually being led, as he says, by demonic entities, right? But now we're being led by the one and only Holy Spirit. So either way, you're going to be under a spiritual control, whether you're saved or unsaved. You just may not know it before you were saved that it was the other than Holy Spirits that were um, uh, influencing decisions that you might make. I'm not trying to say that everybody who's unsaved is is filled with a demon or has a demon or something like that. Um, I'm of the impression that there are at least three wills at operation in the earth today. Those three wills being man's will, God's will, and Satan's will. Um, and so you can say no to Satan and still have your own volition as a, as an unsaved man. You can, you can go about leading your life, uh, doing your own thing. Um, you know, like, 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 uh, Frankie said, you do it your way. Hey, that's fine. Um, you know, uh, you're going to chart your own course and make your own decisions and you don't have to have demons influencing you, uh, left and right, but, Equally important to recognize, like Paul says, is that there are people who are under demonic influence or um, uh, oppression, suppression. Um, they may not even know it. Some people do, some don't, but um, you can still have demonic influences around you, helping you to make decisions that you're not even aware of. But Paul definitely wants us to know that now that we believe in Jesus, we as believers, we former pagans, former Gentiles, He's playing with the word Gentile there in the pagan sense. Um, <clears throat> now that we've confessed Jesus as Lord and the genuine salvation experience took place, then we are now led by the one and only Holy Spirit. Is there still a struggle? Yes, but we shouldn't um, have to fear that there is this um, uh, over uh, overly uh, dominant demonic influence. There's still uh, demonic presence around us, but I believe as a genuine Christian now, if you're yielding to the Holy Spirit and surrendering to God, uh, you know, not living according to the flesh, um, you're walking according to holiness, you're you're uh, walking a path of sanctification, um, you know, you're you're putting to get the depth deeds of the flesh, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera, then you're gonna have um, less of a time struggling with uh, demonic. Um, uh, influences around you uh, and things like that. So um, I go on to say, just by by way of um, uh, technical influence, the Greek word ethnos. I, I want to make sure you guys understand this. Okay, the Greek word ethnos, often rendered as Gentiles or pagans. Right, it, it goes either way, but it must be understood within each individual context presented. And I say that in this verse, it connotes a foreigner from the nations devoid of true knowledge and worship of Hashem, i.e. It, it, it connotes a pagan, not necessarily a Gentile. 
because the description of a person who doesn't yet know Jesus, but is under the influence of satanic and demonic um, um, suggestion and um, uh, uh, you know um, uh, influences and uh, distractions and things like that, you can be Jewish or Gentile. It doesn't matter. You can fall into that category of being um, led by other than Holy Spirits. Uh, you don't necessarily have to. In other words, this is not a Jew versus Gentile discussion. Uh, if you're, it's just an unsaved versus saved discussion. And that's why I say the better. If you have a version of your Bible that calls it Gentile, that uses the word Gentile in verse uh, one, two, or three up there in Ephesians, then um, it's better to translate that as pagan. And I say um, compare this now with the reality that we have in Messiah Viz, brought to life along with Him through. The gift of the Spirit. So we're not really having a Trinitarian debate right now. But we are talking about the genuine Spirit of God who is very deity. He's full deity. He is very God that dwells within you. And yet it's the third person of the Trinity that God sends into your hearts. That's the way I believe that the Bible describes it. The language lends itself to support um, almost an agency fashion that God is sending his very Holy Spirit. And yet God is still enthroned in heaven up above doing the thing that he does as God from heaven above. And yet his spirit is dispatched here on earth to do his bidding, to do his will in agency fashion. And in that sense, we can see the being of God um, um, cooperating with the persons of the Trinity um, in that the being of God is who dwells in us, but it's the person of the Holy Spirit that dwells in us as well. Other verses clearly describe it's the spirit of Jesus who comes to dwell within us. And so we see these overlapping Trinitarian ideas that are consistent with a Trinitarian understanding and model of the God being. So um, was this Holy Spirit within people in the Old Testament? I'm not I'm I'm not ready to tell you yes or no just yet because I don't want to uh, spoil my study but you kind of get the idea already I I believe of course that he was but so I go on to say in my um uh study I continue in this sense talking about salvation we are no longer pagans right so um I'm having this mini discussion within a discussion about gentile christians who embrace the Hebraic lifestyle are fond of saying well we're not gentile anymore and I'm saying, like, like, on what grounds are you not Gentile anymore if you're born Gentile and you you come from the surrounding nations other than Israel? On what grounds are you no longer Gentile? And they say, well, because Paul says, I'm speaking to you former Gentiles if you understand blah, blah, blah. And they pull their quote from Ephesians chapter 2, where Paul uses the phrase former Gentiles. And yet... I don't think that's the context of the way Paul's using the Greek word ethnos. That's why I'm trying to bring this point up, is he's trying to get the Gentiles who were formerly pagans to understand their change in status in God's economy from pagan to saint to hagiasmos, I believe is the Greek word I'm looking for, for saint, or for the holy ones. Um, uh, the, the Hebrew word is something akin to um, where we get the word for Chabad, uh today the the uh i'll have to look it up here off the top of my head i can't remember but um uh the holy ones are those who have been sanctified by god because they've been set apart by the very spirit of god so we're we shouldn't call ourselves pagans anymore 
All right. Um, I asked the question rhetorically, did we come to this revelation on our own, right? That the Holy Spirit is truly God's Spirit, that Jesus is truly Lord, that God is the one and only God that we should serve and that we need Jesus if we are to um, escape the fire, the hells of uh, the fires of hell. Did we come to the revelation of our own? No, right? Emphatic, no, really, but no. Regeneration, I say, is accomplished solely by the, the divine fiat of God. Of course, I'm speaking to the choir. Man is incapable of calling God Abba, right? Paul says, um, the Spirit of God helps us cry, uh, Abba, Father, Daddy, God. Man is incapable of calling God Abba without becoming born again first, right? And so you have to um, recall uh, Paul's um, quote from all of Romans chapter 8, but specifically verses 14 through 17, where he talks about uh, um, uh, calling on uh, the, uh, God as our Father, Abba, Father, uh, Daddy, God. Uh, Abba is kind of a term of endearment. Your pastor will tell you it's a Hebrew way of saying not just Father, but Daddy, right? Uh, like a little child would call his father. He wouldn't normally call him Father, uh, at least in in American culture. We don't call our the young children don't call their fathers Father. Not all the time. Daddy is quite. Uh, common, especially if you're a, a you know like an elementary aged uh, child or a kindergarten aged uh, child. I go on to um, conclude this paragraph. The second clause of verse three, as I'm kind of exegeting the passage above, the second clause of verse three of our Corinthian passage. And remember, I've got two passages that we're working with: the Ephesians passage and the Corinthian passage that talks about uh, no one can call Jesus Lord except by the power of the Holy Spirit. The second clause of verse 3 of our Corinthian passage confirms this reality of the idea that salvation experience is exclusive to the indwelling of the Holy Spirit at the salvation level. The Holy Spirit can come upon a person, in my understanding, and you don't have to be saved. The Holy Spirit definitely comes upon you when you are saved, and He indwells you when you're saved. And therefore, you can be both indwelt by the Holy Spirit for salvation purposes, and you can subsequently receive additional um, empowerings uh, later on, subsequent to the salvation experience. Uh, some charismatics call this a second uh, infilling or uh, something to that effect. Um, but either way, I think it describes where we uh, receive um, uh, latter um, kind of empowerments or recharging marching orders uh, to receive by God. Um, and so these happen sometimes after we've been saved with that initial indwelling of the Holy Spirit. So it's a subsequent, some some Christians do not believe in a subsequent indwelling of the Holy Spirit. And I'm not trying to say that there's a second indwelling. I'm trying to say that there's a second empowerment. I don't believe that there is a subsequent indwelling. Um, I believe there's an initial, so I'm trying to make this plain so you don't misunderstand me. There is an initial indwelling when you become saved and you may in fact, uh, experience an, an empowerment at the same time where you're supercharged by God's spirit to go out and do something supernaturally that you ordinarily couldn't do if you either A, weren't saved or B, weren't empowered by God's spirit, right? So you, you have this supernatural empowerment to witness like you never could before or some people um, uh, have um, like uh, the ability to interpret scripture in a way they couldn't do before or... Um, you know, um, maybe some people get empowered to uh, speak in tongues, another language, uh, interpreting other languages, or um, I'm not talking about the ecstatic speech utterance. I'm not 
entirely convinced that that's all Holy Spirit led anyway. I've, I have some reservation on that discussion. But um, perhaps maybe you're supernaturally uh, endowed to be able to speak a, a known language that you couldn't speak before, right? Something like that. Or interpret a known language that you couldn't interpret before. Uh, or you're supernaturally empowered to sing and you couldn't sing earlier, right? You couldn't carry a tune in a bucket. Um, so we're talking about an, an, an indwelling and an empowering. So I'm, I'm, I'm carefully distinguishing between those two, but saying that empowerment can take place subsequent to the indwelling. And the indwelling, I believe, only takes place once in your life as a Christian, right? You get saved once. Whereas the empowerment can take place multiple times afterwards can take place over and over again at different stages and phases of your sanctification growth um, life. So I conclude this paragraph by saying that the second clause in the, the, the Corinthian passage perhaps is perhaps a lesson in ontology, but it's also possibly uh, it's a possibility that I don't want to explore in this particular study. What I mean by ontology, as you guys know, let me just click on the word and um, highlight the, uh, the definition. The ontology is defined in the dictionary as a branch of metaphysics dealing with the nature of being. So when we're trying to define being, when we're talking about creatures and living entities, and we're trying to break down um, how they are composed or what they're made up of, what's, what are the sum of their parts, how are they put together, what, what is the nature of how they um, exist, right? Ontology steps in and uh, tries to answer some of those questions. So when we talk about God as a being and as persons, his, um, the break the breakdown of his one being and three persons, one what, three who's, et cetera, et cetera, that's a discussion on ontology. So when Paul says, no one can say that Jesus is Lord, I believe that primarily the verse is a discussion about declaring Jesus as Lord in a salvific way, right? The Holy Spirit causes an unsaved person who declare salvifically, Jesus is Lord of my life. Jesus is the Savior. Jesus is the Messiah, the one who has come into my life to rescue me, save me, and to um, cleanse me of my sin, pay the debt that I couldn't pay. That's what I mean by a salvation discussion. Jesus is Lord, and the Holy Spirit is the one who causes that reality to come to pass as he comes within you. However, if this is discussion about ontology, when we say that the Holy Spirit causes the person to declare Jesus is Lord, well, then we're talking about Jesus is kudios, and the Greek word kudios overlaps with the Hebraic understanding of Yahweh. Indeed, it is the Greek equivalent of YHVH in the Tanakh, in the Hebrew Bible. And so to declare that Jesus is kudios is akin to saying that Jesus is Yahweh, and then it jumps from being a salvific discussion into becoming a ontological discussion. How is it that Jesus is YHVH? How is he Yahweh? How is he very God? And where's the label kudios? That's what I mean by that last half there. But I don't think that's what Paul was essentially getting at. But we could have that discussion if we um, wanted to. Um, so... I think that's a great place to stop as I'm looking at the topic of next week's uh, discussion in this paragraph here. We got one, two, uh, and then a, a quote from Acts, and then a uh, another two passages and another quote, 
and some more information and I'm gonna have to accelerate uh, yeah but I think I can finish that next week as long as I don't dilly-dally right okay but that'll do it now for exploring the Shema discussions on the issues of Trinity the liturgy for tonight was uh, based on the uh, the festivals, um, Leviticus 23. As you can see on my screen, I decided to pull the interlinear Bible up so you can see which words in the Hebrew match, which words in the English. And um, we read the English last week of this passage, so I'm not going to read the English tonight. Um, I'll just read through the Hebrew. And those of you who can see my screen, if you can read Hebrew, uh, it shows up right there, reading from right to left. If you can't read the Hebrew, there's transliterated Hebrew right above it, if you can make sense of that. I, I can't make sense of that. And then there's English right under that, and don't worry about the Strong's numbers above and all the other uh, morphology and stuff below. Um, but the Hebrew, we're just going to read four verses. Leviticus 23, 1 through 4. Um, this puts us in the uh, context of the festivals. Um, you can see the English on the screen, the wooden version, the kind of pony version. So if you want to follow along with that, just, just uh, follow along. But very quickly, the, the Hebrew says, Verse 2 says, Verse 3 says sheshet yamim tese malacha uvyom hashvi'i shabbat shabbaton mikra kodesh kol malacha lo ta'asu shabbat hiladonai bechol moshvotechem and that's leviticus uh, 23 1 through 3 and then if i were to jump into verse 4 it's going to start talking about um, four and five is going to start talking about uh, Passover and the rest of the festivals. I like reading verse four. Uh, it says, "Ile moadei Adonai mikra ekodesh asher tikru otam b'moadam." These are the festivals of the Lord, the holy convocations which you, Israel, shall proclaim at their appointed times. And so this is the time in the season that we're in right now. The festivals of the Lord are right in the middle of uh, Sukkot, as I mentioned. By the time you watch this video, Sukkot will have been uh, passed. But the themes surrounding this time of year, the fall festivals, which evokes uh, the second coming of Yeshua back to planet Earth to redeem us, to, to, um, to uh, resurrect our bodies, uh, heralded by a sound and the blast of, the, of a trumpet. Um, this is our liturgy reading from... Um, 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, and last week we started in verse 15. I'm using the same, it looks kind of busy on your screen, but let me find, there we go. Starting in verse 15, um, this time it reads left to right. Uh, if you can follow along, the Greek starts right there, and there's English right underneath that. There's transliterated Greek right there, if you can read that. Uh, but the, I'm not going to read the English, but you can see it there. Uh, so you can follow along. And we're going to read again, I think, four verses, 15 through the end of the chapter, 15, 16, 17, 18, just those four verses. Um, Paul says in the Greek, Tuta gar humen legomen in lago, kuriu hati hemes hati, I'm sorry, hemes hoi zontis hoi paralipomenoi, tain parusian, tu kuriu, u me tha somen, that's a tongue twister, tus Koi me thentas, 
Verse 16. autas ha kurias in kelesumati in phone archangulu, right? The voice of the angel, the phone of the arch of the archangel or archangel, archangulu in the Greek. Kai in salpingi, that's the Greek metal trumpet uh, that would have been recognized in the Bible, the salpinx. Uh, so the, kal, the kai in salpingian with the, uh, the salpingi theu, the, the trumpet of God. Kata besetai ap uranu kai hoi nekroi in Christo, the rising of the dead in Christ. Uh, he continues, Anastasantai proton. Uh, these dead in Christ will rise first. He continues in verse 17. Epeta hemes hoi zontis hoi perilip hominoi hamasun autois harpagesamitha in nevoles ace apas apantesin tu curio ace era kai hutos pantate sun curio esamitha. And then the final pasik, the final verse, verse 18, hoste parakaleta, that word parakaleta, encourage in the, as a verb, is similar to the noun paraclete, which we call the comforter, the Holy Spirit, used by Yeshua in uh, John 15 and 16 and 17, the, the paraclete. You've probably heard that in sermons. It's the same root Greek word uh, that we get this verb from here, parakaleta, the encur- to encourage or to comfort. Hoste para kaleta alelus in twice lagois two twice. And that'll do it for the liturgy for tonight. Short Questions, Short Answers by Torah Teacher Ariel and eBible. Copyright Tetsei Torah Ministries 2015. All rights reserved. The question tonight is why did God offer a new covenant? We know about the new covenant, but why did he offer it? Look at these quotes. Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and the house of Judah. This quote shows up in the book of Jeremiah as well as the book of Hebrews. For this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, declares the Lord. I will put my law within them and I will write it on their hearts. Those are significant quotes for us to consider. Using the ESV, the term New Covenant itself is found in these verses, Jeremiah 31, 31, Luke 22, 20, 1 Corinthians 11, 25, 2 Corinthians 3, 6, Hebrews 8, 8, 13, 9, 5, and Hebrews 12, 24. Go back and read all of those passages on your own and meditate on what they are talking about. Also worth noting is that it is said to be made only with Israel and with Judah in the original Jeremiah 31 passage, later to be designated Israel only. This is going to become significant for our exegesis of the passage, particularly when we're trying to wrestle with theology of where does the church fit in with the new covenant that God makes with Israel. This tells me that the church must exist as a part of Israel, at least at the remnant Israel level, in order for her to participate in the new covenant. Right? There are not two new covenants, one with Israel and one with the church, right? Did I read the verse wrong? So go back and read again, and let's be careful to to understand that God is cutting a covenant with Israel. So what does that say about the identity of the church? Moreover, Jeremiah says in his promise there that the Torah, which is the law of Moses, is the written essence of this single new covenant that the people of Israel took on as a never-ending agreement with God 
and is that which will be written on new covenant hearts. Yeshua Jesus said this, quote, not one stroke of the Torah will pass away until all is fulfilled, end quote. That's, of course, Matthew 5.18. So this begins to make sense uh, when we understand that this new covenant must be an internalization of the very same Torah and built upon the previous covenantal promises that God made with Israel. So we don't need to describe a destruction of Torah. Unless we've gotten to the point yet of, not, of needing no one to teach us, the Torah is still in effect. Yeah, right, even though Yeshua has come and gone. But we really need to stop and ask this extremely important question, why exactly did we need a new covenant? I believe a chief reason is that the nature of human sin demands the remedy called new covenant. So we really need to stop and talk about that for a moment. Unsaved mankind often characterizes concepts of the Torah as a means of justification in opposition to genuine submission to the Spirit of God. For example, for unsaved Jews, ethnicity, or for unsaved Christians, um, unsaved people, church attendees, or obedience or church membership, things like that. Essentially, pride and sin harden the heart, they blind the eyes, and eventually God, uh, this makes God's gracious promises seem useless to unbelievers on a genuine spiritual level, characterizing what Paul describes as Old Covenant in 2 Corinthians 3.14. Alright, so this is extremely important. We talked about this last week. In this state, of being. The covenant member candidate may look spiritual, but is actually fooled into thinking that mere mechanical allegiance to the Torah, or what we might call superficial membership in a church or Israel, will provide a remedy for the sin of the sins piling up in a spiritless life. So we see that the human condition demands the remedy known as new covenant. Let's keep reading. Mankind is in desperate need of the new covenant, whether he knows it or not. That's a good place to say amen, by the way. All right, what are our conclusions to tonight's very short study? The word new in the covenant spoken about in Jeremiah is actually the Hebrew word chadashah, which can at times refer not to something brand new in creation, but rather to something that has undergone a reformation in character and purpose or simple refreshment on a different scale. It doesn't have to be new. It can be renewed, like the moon is renewed every month. It's the same moon, but it's a new moon. On one level, Jeremiah is describing a renewal of some existing item. For instance, the Torah is being renewed. On the other hand, when it comes to the regeneration of the soul of a man, viz. Old Covenant man versus New Covenant man, the change is quite radical. You understand what I mean there? Old man dies, new man is brought to life. So it is a brand new man, a brand new spiritual man that is birthed into life when we're talking about old man, new man, all things do indeed become new. It's not just a renewal of the old man, he's new altogether. Behaviorally speaking, the change can at times seem to occur over the course of time, but forensically speaking, the change is as different as life and death. So again, it's not just a renewal of the old man when we're talking about new covenant, we're talking about a brand new man. The new covenant to be ratified on a national level with Israel will envision the former promises made with Abraham, Moses, David. So it's not necessary to overturn a previous covenant in order to, for a later one to find fulfillment. Does that concept sound familiar, right? Overturning a previous covenant in order for a later one to find fulfillment. The law of Jesus doesn't have to overturn the law of Moses in order for the law of Messiah to be enacted, is what I'm trying to say here. And we've read about this in other passages, uh, to be sure. Paul says in Galatians, he teaches explicitly that a later covenant cannot nullify a previous one. Look at 
uh, Galatians 3.17 for that particular theology. In fact, I've got a video online, Galatians 3.17 and 18, Exegene Galatians, my Messianic Jewish commentary. Click the link to check it out. As a feature of the living Word of God, the New Covenant is not time-bound. Rather, the New Covenant springs to life whenever the veil is lifted and eyes are opened to God's grace. Isn't that wonderful? We don't have to wait for the new covenant to kind of go into effect as a believer. Specifically, uh, as has been historically demonstrated by the coming of his son, right? That's new covenant. It is better in many ways, like the writer to the book of Hebrews tells us, since Yeshua himself, in fact, inaugurated it, but before the foundations of the world were even laid. Check out my podcasts, which are available on iTunes. You can search for me in the store under the search term Ariel Hanavi. But if you prefer to watch your theology, check out my YouTube channel, subscribe to my YouTube channel, and click the bell for notifications. New content is added weekly or even daily. That'll do it for the video for tonight. Let's close in prayer. Abba, bless your name. I thank you for the study. I thank you for the participation from the students, from both those who join me live each week, as well as those who join me afterwards when the video gets uploaded and they're they're uh, watching the YouTube video or tuning into the iTunes podcast. What a blessing to be able to share with others around the world in this manner, to have meaningful discussions, to, to have my views challenged so that I can sharpen my understanding of the text, so that I can also uh, come to better uh, agreement and understanding and um, fellowship with people of like mind who are having these types of discussions. Continue, Lord, to um, strengthen us and raise us up and to reveal your words to us so that can be, we can be equipped and um, so we can be united uh, as a body of Messiah. Help us to put aside petty differences, uh, you know, arguing over the color of the carpet. Um, Lord, the, there, are, there are things that we should simply not simply should not divide over, should not have divided over historically, but, um, and, you know, run off down the street and start our own new brand new church with a different denominational label and things like that. What a shame that we can't be more united as Christians. Uh, so Lord, we pray that the Holy Spirit would continue to grow us up and to equip us as ambassadors of your kingdom to share the good news with those around us, because that's the more important task at hand. That's the the more relevant issue facing us is a world around us that's lost and dying and doesn't know that Jesus is Lord and that only the Holy Spirit can come into them and uh, cause them to confess that Jesus is Lord. So help us, Lord, to be bold in our witness. Give us supernatural opportunities to share uh, our testimony with with people that we meet. Help us to um, uh, continue to um, look to you, the author and finisher of our faith. And we'll be careful to give you the praise and the glory. Bashem Yeshua. Amen. Amen.